0: Y'all pray with me. Dear Lord, may we come to you in worship. May we give you the glory. Dear Lord, we want to honestly say from our hearts, it's not about us, it's not about styles, it's not about performance, it is about you. Bellwether has always been about you, may it always be about you, regardless of the people here, regardless of who you bring. Let it be about God's glory, what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Y'all can have a seat uh, and... You can go ahead and get your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 4, but really before we get into the message, I really want to share uh, from my heart, uh, you could call it, I mean in church language announcement, but it's it's really something from my heart and something that I believe God has put not only on my heart, but other leaders here at Bellwether, from our staff to our deacon team. And today is the day we want to share this with y'all. We've been praying about it for the past couple of weeks. In February, I uh, I stood before y'all uh, and we announced what God had done uh, in providing us with this great property and this great space, this great location here in Jackson. Let me rewind a little bit though. Before then, you know Bellwether was started. Many of you know this. Some don't. But uh, if you come today at lunch, you'll hear it again and again. And we have to remind ourselves again and again. Bellwether was started with two founding premises, two building blocks that are really linked together, tied together, two strands of the same cord. The first is the verse John 10, 16, that there are others. Jesus goes to them. My heart has always been for the outsider, for the other, the person who maybe they're not as popular, maybe they don't have as many friends, maybe they're not in the in club or the best supper club, Maybe they don't feel worthy to be in a church. It's my heart. It's my wife's heart. We want to be about them, and we want to raise leaders, the second premise, who will go. As you go, as I talked about before, as you go into your families, into the soccer fields, into work, raise leaders, other people. Really evangelism and discipleship. Raise leaders who know God's word. Raise leaders who will teach God's word. Raise leaders who will go. Maybe they feel called to go to the ends of the earth... ...Honduras, India. Maybe they just feel called to go to their spouse. That is what Bellwether is about. That is what Bellwether uh, will always be about. That is the heart and soul of our church. Now then, something that's been interesting... ...if you've been with us, especially since the beginning... ...you have seen, you have witnessed... ...God has always provided for Bellwether. I mean, He always has... And some of us, including myself, sometimes have have doubted. I don't know if God's going to show up. He does. Ever since we started with a free space to worship, yes, it was a gym, yes, it was dirty, it was free. We got a good start. Provided us with an office space. Didn't have a place to worship. Provided us this place. Provided us great leaders. I think leaders who have a passion for other people, who have a passion to be raised and to equip and raise other leaders. God's blessed Bellwether. God's blessed Bellwether financially. But we could do this and hire staff and go to Honduras and give scholarships for people to go. And all of that, God's hand has been in the life of this church. Easter 2012, so not last Easter, but Easter before. I stood before you and I said, you know, God is, you know, hey, look, set up teams, we're tired. We've been setting up, taking down for nearly five years. We could do something, and I said, God is pushing me to say the next step is finding a home, a permanent home, or at least for this season of our life. And then I said, not just that we are going to amp up the, the looking for that home, we're going to be in that home by Christmas Eve 2013, which was 20 months away. And some of you had said since then, it's like, you know, man, you said that, that was great, Easter, rah, rah, I thought you were crazy, I thought you were nuts. Now then... I might be crazy sometimes, but I actually have a paperweight on my desk that reminds me every day. It says, you're not crazy. It just says, you're not crazy. I look at it, you're not crazy. I say that because I've always been a big believer, Jill could tell you this, Chris could tell you this, JJ's starting to know this, in calculated risks. We don't run off the cliff, but I think God rewards calculated risks. So when I stood before you on Easter and I said, all right, Christmas Eve, 20 months, let's go. It's a calculated risk. We pushed forward and God provided. And what's interesting in the story about how God provided, as I've shared with you, it was nothing that like I did, uh, nothing that like our staff did, nothing that like, you know, some business guru in the congregation worked a deal to get us, you know, the property. And we got some business gurus, we got some politicians, great leaders. Didn't happen that way. I mean, God literally said, "Man, here's, here's this property He provided. It, it humbles me. And not only did He say, "Hey, here's this property here. He said, "Hey, here's this property on this wonderful corner in the center of this city that I'm calling Bellwether to reach. And it's like, good foundation, good everything is man, it was all God. I mean, it, we talk staff. We're like, we, just, we, want, we don't want to take this for granted, and we drive by every day, and like, man, just pinch ourselves. This is, this is home, for now, for a season. So that being said, there's a couple things today. If February, when I announced, was like phase one of this move, today is phase two. You may not know that, but it's the beginning of phase two. Phase two is a couple things. The first thing is we can never lose sight of those two premises, reaching others raising leaders you know why because at our new home the building there's a sign in stone up on one of the walls and it says north park presbyterian church and i think it may list some founding members maybe the founding pastor i'm not sure i want that stone to stay there now yeah that kind of honors them but i got a much bigger reason because they ain't there anymore you know what I'm saying? And I want it to remind us, because I've talked to folks in that church, says, we made some mistakes. We did not reach out. We did not raise young leaders. And so they got a stone with names, and we're in that church. So I really want it to be a reminder for us that yes, we're there and God provides. But look, God takes his hand away. when We're not about his kingdom. When we're not about as you go. And as long, as long as I'm pastor here, I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that doesn't happen. So that's most important. But there's some other things that we need to do. Buildings. Property. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and then they shape us. And, and that is so true. We have the dreams and ideas and then after they're realized, they, they give us identity. And so... You know, some folks have been like, uh, well, you know, kind of nerd. You know, these are big decisions because they are going to shape our identity. And, you know, God provided this great location. So we want, to, we want it to reflect who we are. And we want to also put our best foot forward in this community, in this city. Not running off the cliff, but taking some calculated risks. As you all have seen, what we're building and doing and shaping it up. Now, what we're doing is really just three simple things. Some may say, well, not so simple, but we fixed up the White House, and I hope all y'all can see that if you haven't later today or at a Wednesday night service. It looks great. Um, Now, there's some hills, you know what I'm saying, in the house. I mean, welcome to Jackson Foundation. Anyway, but it can be used uh, to a great degree for many years, and it's it's very, very nice. White House, the sanctuary, you know, we've. We're going to shape it up and make it nice or make it nicer, put our really style on it. And then we're building out at the front, and really what we're doing is we're not even extending the sanctuary. What that building doesn't have and what it really needs is a very nice prayer room where any of y'all could go to any time of day, day or night, and say, I want to pray, and it's almost like a sacred space. That room could also be used a bridal chamber, it could be used for a groom. it could be used for a family, before a funeral. Anyway, the building that was did not have this nice, sacred prayer room. We could have meetings there, just that gives glory to God. So we're building that out as well. Now all of this together is about, plus or minus 700,000 dollars, OK? So seven hundred thousand dollars, and we're doing very good, staying within budget. However, we took another loan out of uh, from the bank of five hundred and twenty thousand, and you know we're paying the rest of that seven hundred out of our reserve. So what I'm sharing with you today is the property is a million, in totally honest, and then the build is five hundred and twenty thousand, and we have a five year uh, balloon on that. F- 520000 And so, what we want to do is definitely pay that 520000 off in five years. Hold on now. Pause. Some of you are thinking, oh, here we go, man. Money, numbers. I come to church. Some of you are, I'm a first time visitor and he's throwing that out. And I would just say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, here's why I'm saying that. Uh, unapologetically, unequivocally, other people, Raising leaders, God provides, calculated risks. To do that, you need resources. Resources of people, resources of places. Some things we can't like get, but God leads people here. God brings us to places. And then we say, what are we going to do with our creative means and our faculties and the leaders and the resources we have here to not give glory to with the church, but give glory to God? What are we going to do? We have thought and prayed, staff, deacons, others, to say, what can we do that is, you know, reasonable? Reasonable. And I feel like we've come to a good sweet spot. Many of you could say, and I've said this before, yeah, look at those grand cathedrals in Europe, man. Well, brother, they are empty now. No, they're not. You know what? They have tourists come day and night through those grand cathedrals, and some of them say, I know I said this when I went through several of them, wow, look at the glory of the creativity that men and women did for God. To give glory and honor to God. To say, I love God so much. I want to praise God so much. I'm going to use the faculties of architecture and painting and stained glass windows and all that. And we're going to give glory to God. What we're doing with this build is we want to give glory to God to reach other people, to raise leaders. And the others around our neck of the woods where zip codes matter... You need to kind of glorify it up a bit. And I'm just being real there. So, we want to give glory to God. We want to reach other people, we want to raise leaders. We want to create a building where all of y'all can really and truly flourish. So, we're setting a goal. And yes, it's a financial goal. I believe we can do this, I believe it's a very, I believe it's a calculated risk. December 31st, another date, 2015. So, that would be two years and four months three end-of-the-year giving cycles, we want to raise $750,000 in our body, in our church, and those who will come to call Bell a home. You're like, why are you doing this? Why are you throwing this out? Well, first, you know, to be a part of this body of this church I'm going to talk about later this afternoon, you know, we're all asked to give. Sacrificially, serving, tithing is a big part of that. Now we're at a season where we say we can do something great, we can give glory to God... And yeah, we're going to ask you to give a little bit more. And I'm going to ask you that unapologetically. I'm going to ask you that non-subtly, if that's a word. I'm going to ask you that you know, explicitly for the next two years and four months to give a little over and beyond. We'll knock this loan out. We'll replenish our reserve where we can continue to raise leaders and fund some mission trips for people who can't go and grow our staff and grow our giving to missions and be well-equipped for the next build or the next future project that we've got, whatever that is God has in store. I believe it's a very, I believe it's a very healthy, good, calculated risk decision that is the next phase of where we're going at Bellwether. And the last thing I'd say before we're getting into the sermon, I don't really have to ask you to say, hey, give a little bit more. All I really need to ask you in your life at Bellwether Church... Today or in the past? or Have you seen God move? Have you seen God move here? Has he moved in your life? Has he moved in your marriage while you've been here? Has he moved, whether it's property or mission or whatever, are you seeing God move here? And if the answer is yes, then the answer of what you do is simple. I believe it's yes, and I hope you all do too. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for this next step, this, this vision you've put on our hearts, leaders in this community. I want to pray over it today. Today was just an announcement. There'll be a conversation there'll be time for questions and, and fleshing out. But dear Lord, we are ready to go. I am ready to go. And I am so thankful for what you have provided in terms of people, in terms of resources, in terms of heart for missions and, and inspiration and equipping and property, a place. As I begin to preach about home, let us know that this is not our permanent home, but let our permanent home, which is heaven and which is in Christ, dwell within this temporary home that is a building, so other people can see it and give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. First John 4, getting into the message, and we'll be talking more about that, but I don't have all morning, and yes, you know, I want to. So, I guess second sermon. Anyway, 1 John 4. I want to read verse 7 through 16. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love God has for us. God is love. Those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Stop right there. I want to talk about home this morning. Home. Everybody wants a home. Everybody has thoughts of some place that is home. Uh, Maybe they're bad in the past, maybe they're good, maybe where you are now is, is wonderful. I hope it is, but I know the reality of life, and it may not be. For me, home is many things. Uh, one is growing up in, in North Mississippi and, uh, and playing out in the fields and in the creeks and on the rocks of uh, that hill country, and so I always get a sense of nostalgia about home. Home is much more than that for me, though. Now driving up to our house today, it's like, you know, I'm home, coming home. It is a uh, it is a great feeling coming up, your home, your family, all of that. There There's something in us, and it's not just Southerners. You know, Eudora Welty said, you know, the most important thing for us is a sense of place. Uh, very true, very true. But there's something in humanity that just longs for home. Thousands of years before Jesus was born, the Greeks were writing about this. And one of the most famous works in all of... Of literature, the, the Odyssey is simply about a man coming back from a war, trying to get home. There's been some great. I love the Civil War, and there's been some great Civil War stories. Uh, one is Coal Mountain. I think it's a great book. But anyway, about Southerners trying to get home after the war and uh, the sense of loss, but trying to to get home to their to their land, to their to their farm. Home is. It's just this, this desire, this, this longing for a, a dwelling place. It is, just, it is just in us. It is in us. I believe it's in you. Now, home is there, that sense of home, because I believe God gave it to us. I believe God put that sense of home in our heart, this longing. And so often we, we misplace it in, in good things, but our true home, as I said, is, is yes in heaven but more so than that because heaven is right now at least the future you know one could argue one could contend that if you're a believer and you're really growing in your Christian life here amongst other believers this is home this is this church this is, this is your true home in a community of believers because it's a reflection, a little glimpse imperfect though we may be of what heaven will be I'm going to get to church later, but our true home is in heaven. Paul wrote, I desire to be at home with the Lord. And then if we are saved, if we have salvation, being with a community of believers, but home starts in our hearts, personally, individually. Some may call it being saved. Some may call it salvation. But a great way of looking at it, maybe a new way of looking at it, because that's real churchy language, is finding home. Coming home to Jesus. It is, that is what this passage is talking about. John is writing to a church, to a people, and he's saying, verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide. Abide. Home is where you abide. We abide in him and he in us because he has given us ...of His Spirit. Our home starts in our hearts. Our true home, our real home. The Holy Spirit living in our hearts. God abiding in us. God dwelling in us. And I know as much as our our white picket fences we love... ...and our great houses we love... ...we all know Sunday school response again... ...that'll be gone one day. But really we we love them so much more. We do. I mean, I love the sense of place in North Mississippi. I love my home now. And... It's hard for us to really get that our our real home, our true home, starts with the indwelling presence of God, God abiding in us, God living in us by the Holy Spirit, and then a community of believers, the church who John was writing to, and then glory in heaven forever and ever. The song that uh, Chris and the worship team sang, uh, I think it was the second song, but I was really struck. If you remember the stanza, it says, in death and in life. And I was thinking, why did they name death first before life? In death, in life. You know what I think, because death is so hard to face. Death is so hard to confront, whether it's a loved one or whether it's our own death. I mean, that is tough. And the song is saying, in death, in death, I can find home in you. In death, you are my God. You love me. In death, in life. Some of you are homesick today. Some of you had bad memories of home. Some of you are searching for a home. Actually, all of us are searching for a home. We may just not realize it yet. All of our homes, as great as they may be, are just like sugar candy, superficial highs. Our true home is in Jesus. Our salvation is in Jesus. The past month I've been going through a series called This Is Your Life. And I want to end today, just ask you a quick, where's your home? Because I can say it's about being saved and some of y'all aren't saved. We know that, you've heard that. But just to close, where's your home? Where's your true home? I want to say three quick things today about where that home is and how to get there. And I believe in these things is where you find salvation. In these things is where you find your true home. In these in these truths you will feel you'll feel like you truly are at home. So, first one is the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. Ephesians 2:13 and these should be coming up on screen. Ephesians 2:13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, that is not like, it's not like, you know, too, you know, uplift. I mean, blood is kind of blood. I mean, I, I don't like blood. I had to give blood yesterday. I was like, you know, looking away. Just it, it is not my deal. Couldn't be a doctor, a nurse, none of that. But the blood of Christ is what saves us. What has saved us. You know, like, flesh that out more. I talked about it last week. And I will say last Sunday's message was really a, a very critical message, probably in the life of this church, but it's a little bit like medicine. And, you know, medicine gets you well, but at the beginning it may, it may hurt a little bit or it may taste bad, but it will give you health. And what I mean by that is the gospel is we're bad, we can't save ourselves, the whole total depravity deal. But Jesus has done what we could not do. And I said, Do you spell Christianity do or do you spell it done? Because many of us lean to do. I gotta do this, I gotta do that, gotta come to church, gotta go to small group, gotta go to Wednesday night, gotta do a mission to to set in no. It's what Jesus has done. And I, I said it like this last week. You know, if a king in old stories or fairy tales, if a king has people in rebellion, a king crushes the rebellion. And so here is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and we're in rebellion in our hearts. We say we want to be God, we want to be king, we want to do it our way. And then in the Old Testament, if there's sin, sin entails a sacrifice. Sin requires a sacrifice. We're in rebellion. What does God do? He sends Jesus. He says, there's got to be something paid. There's got to be a price. There's got to be a sacrifice. Something's got to happen. They're in rebellion. And Jesus takes it on himself. It's the gospel, what Jesus has done. So, you know, whenever you think about church or Christianity, it begins, actually not even with the resurrection. I mean, a lot of us were saved, and I've put myself this, hey, I want eternal life in heaven, and I want sins forgiven. So we focus on the resurrection, but it begins with, we need to be saved, and the blood of Christ saves us. Talking about home, put it this way, if it's like we build our house, We build our castles. We build our towers of Babel. We build our skyscrapers. We build our our powerful kingdoms and all that. And Jesus is there knocking at the door. He actually says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. And we're like so busy and we're building our kingdom. And he just keeps knocking. He's like, I'll get it later. I'm, I'm coming in a minute. And we never do. He stands at the door and knocks. Let him in. And he even is so humble I to say, I just want a room. Like, I'll, I'll take the guest room. I, I mean, he's like, the house is really mine, you know. But I'll just give me a room, man. Just give me a little, little place. And we over and over fail to do that. Let him in. The blood of Christ saves you. What he's done saves you. Just let me in. Just let me in. And then when he's in, we're going to get tempted. We're going to face temptation. But when the devil knocks that door with temptation... Then send Jesus to the door. When he's in there, you can do that. If he's not, it's, uh, it can be pretty bad, pretty messy. Let Jesus in. The blood of Christ, what he has done. Secondly, the word of God. The word of God. Look at this passage in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. It says, all scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. I want to highlight a couple words there. As I was looking over this scripture over the week and meditating it, a couple things really just kind of knocked me over. First, all scripture. So all, it doesn't say New Testament, it says all. It doesn't say, you know, New Testament and Genesis, Exodus, and then throw in Psalms and Proc- It says all, so yes, even though we don't do series or we haven't done series here on Leviticus you know, or Obadiah. I mean, that's coming one of these years. But all Scripture, all Scripture can be used. But more so than that, all Scripture is breathed. I don't know what translation you're reading at, but breathed by God. It is the, it's the breath of God. How do you know if you're alive? You breathe. If you can't breathe, you die. I mean... This, this word, this, 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 the, the life of God, all scripture is, is the breath of God. It's, it's life. It doesn't just guide you home. It is home. It is home. It is God's gift to us. My wife and I were talking just last night. So she used a story, so I'm going to have to use it. I was like 50% asleep, but it was really great. So I picked up on it. She's like, you know, you think about the word of God. And we really should look at it. I don't know, sweetie, where you got this from, but it, it was great. I thought it was great. It's like, you know, for those of you who've ever gotten a love letter, you know, some of you girls, I mean, some of us men, husbands, are man enough to write, you know, a love letter. Uh, if, you have, if you're not, you should. And then some of us guys can really be bowed over by a love letter. I know it's hard to admit but, like, you get your first love letter. Let's say, I don't know, fifth grade or I don't know what it is now. Now you probably text. But anyway, you know, fourth grade or seventh grade. And that first love letter and, you know, they say dearest or they say dear. And I've done this. I don't know about y'all. But you, like, you kind of pour over every word. It's like, man, somebody, somebody likes me or, or somebody loves me. And you just you almost memorize it. And it's just like this, it's, you know, just this feeling. We should do that with scripture. I mean, it is God's love letter to us. It is God's life to us. And we should look at it like, man, it's, he loves us so much that he sent his son to die, to bleed. It's a love letter to you. Saying, come home. Come home. Now. Not just heaven when you die this, and leave this earth You're like, Come home. I love you. I've always loved you. Do you look at God's word as a love letter? Last. The eternal promise. One of the verse, Hebrews 9 15. Hebrews 9 15. This verse says For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. Now that verse, you know, that may be like, I don't know if I totally get that verse. Some of you some of you do. But the key phrase there is the promised eternal inheritance. The promise of the future, the promise of a future of hope, the promise of heaven. And some of you, you know, either don't like home or don't want to go home or don't have a good sense of home because of broken promises, because of sin. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent. And all of us at some point in our lives have memories of broken promises. And it makes it so hard for us to actually trust God. It makes it hard for you to even trust me. It's like, yeah, man, you're, you're saying all this, but I mean, come on. Okay, blood of Christ, I man, that's blood, word of God, it's a book. Heaven, man, I hope it's around out there. You know, when I'm, you know I hope so. Why don't just do good and build a good house now? And that's how 90% of folks think. I know. So, all I can do, all I can do literally is trust the Holy Spirit speaks. Because it's not about me. And it's not about these words. It's about this word. It's about this word that is life. And there is a promise. There is a promise that will never be broken that God created us, He loves us, we've fallen. He sent His Son, the blood on the cross, to say, I'm going to do what you can't do. Come home. He sent us His Word, His life. He said, I'm going to do what you can't do. Come home. He sent us a promise saying, I know there's going to be suffering. I know you're going to have hardships. I know that some of you will question. I, I know that there will be struggles. Come home. Find me in God's Word, in the life of the church, through the Holy Spirit, and I will be waiting for you in heaven. And we will rejoice for eternity, and we will return together when the kingdom of heaven unites with the kingdom of earth. That is the promise. It is true. I'm basing my life on it. Some of you are basing y'all's life on it. It is salvation. It is home. It is life. And all we can do is proclaim it. And then it's up to you. It's actually up to us. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's up to us with the pressures of status with the pressures of I've got to make enough money, with the pressures of, you know, my my marriage is in shambles, with the pressures of, you know, I'm having trouble getting pregnant, with the pressures of, you know, I'm still single. God says, come home. Come home. You You are running yourself to death. You're like a hamster on a wheel. Man, come home. Last thing I will share is actually a story. And... This is actually not a story. It's it's an article that I read this week. Uh, it's written in the Washington Post it's was by a uh, by a writer who used to be the head speechwriter for George W. Bush. Now, before you think all conservative stuff, this guy actually he uh, he really spearheaded uh, the president's aid to Africa and HIV, hundreds of million dollars. He's an evangelical Christian. His name's Michael Gerson, and he wrote an article about sending his son to college and you know he's he's a great writer and I was reading I was like this is I don't have a son going to college I have a son going to first grade many of you you know have kids who have gone to college or are going to college or in high school and he said you know it's the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to his life that he you know life entails he has to send his son to college and he was talking about and he knows all this uh all this literally like cosmic stuff which is really interesting that you know we're only here in space and time because there's a fraction of a fraction of an opportunity for life to exist in the universe which is God which is right now and he said you know nothing he has experienced in this life has bowled him over as much as sending his son away and he says you know the the, the hard fact is it's sadder for me than for him because i know that i'm going to diminish as father in his life and his life is just beginning, that he's going to make friends and hopefully meet a wife and raise a family. And yes, we can be friends and peers, but he says, my role will, it's the beginning. My role will diminish. And then he said, you know, so many of the sons and daughters that go to college or go off, you know, their big long. is, just, man, if, if things bomb bottom out or if, you know, if I just bomb at something, do I have a place that I can call home? Do I, do I still have a room? And, you know, in the article, he said, of course, you can always come home. You can always come back. And I thought about that tying with the parable that we began this series with, parable that I love more than anyone. This is the prodigal son. And I thought about the father's love. And again, I said about my parents that they, you, love your children so much. It's just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of, I don't know, .00001% of God's love for you and I. And then he says, I'm going to give you all the freedom to enjoy my creation, to fellowship together, to, to marry, to raise children, to flourish. And I'm always here. Come home. And we are all prodigals, whether we're the elder brother or the younger brother. And we go our own way. And the Father's love is shown, is shown in saying, all I have is yours. I've always been here. You can always come home. Today, I mean, I I invite you home. I mean, really home. Like being saved is home. Salvation is home. Some of you don't have a home. Church can be a home. It's very broken, but I believe the reason church is plan A and there is no plan B is because it's a glimpse of heaven. And one day we're going to be in heaven, those of us who know Jesus... And we'd be like, man, what, what is that cat doing there? I mean, you know, I know the folks you know, he slept with, or I know the crooked deals he did. And some of us feel that way when we go to church. You know what I'm saying? And God said, there's no difference. Children, son, daughter, I love you just the same. May you know that love. May we come home. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for always loving us. Thank you for your church, which is a glimpse of home. May we know that home begins and ends in our hearts. Dear Lord, there are people here who either don't know that or questioning that. So my prayer in all humility is that your spirit may work. And that they may see by your spirit what Jesus has done. That your word is life. And that we have a promise that you will never break. will never be broken. May we not just come home, but live in your home. If that entails opening the door to Jesus, if it entails coming to church, entails recommitting, whatever that step is, help us to know home is in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.